Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you feel like your allergies are having a comeback tour and you want relief quickly, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny, and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Welcome to Switched on Pop. I'm songwriter Charlie Harding. Recently, I've been going on a deep dive into country music. And so when the opportunity came up to chat with Keith Urban, I knew I had to jump on it. Urban is a legend of country He's been releasing hit records for two decades now, and he shows no sign of stopping. His new album, The Speed of Now, has Urban pushing stylistic boundaries, as he's known to do, and collaborating with a diverse roster of musicians who contribute a really eclectic array of sounds, funk guitar, breakbeat drums, and even EDM programming to make a style that is less straight-ahead country and more just the sound of Keith Urban. I spoke with Urban a few weeks ago about his new record, the creative process, and how he stays inspired. Here's my conversation with Keith Urban. How did country music first come into your life, and what did it take for you to become fluent in that tradition? Well, my mom and dad's record collection, particularly my dad's, um, my dad loved yeah. American country music. He he was a drummer in the in the 50s, he was an amateur drummer in the 50s, and you know when when rock and roll came along, he was just bitten by the rock and roll bug. He grew up in New Zealand. Right. And then as rock and roll, because it's, you know, the origins of rock and roll was more rockabilly. It was kind of, there, was, right. there was roots of, of stuff in their country and R&B and everything was kind of in, in there. So through the 60s and off into the 70s, he just moved, instead of going with rock, he sort of moved over towards country, particularly uh, guys like Waylon Jennings. I'm a rambling man. Don't give your heart to a rambling man. John Williams. But then he also loved Merle Haggard. I turned 21 in prison doing life without parole. No one could steer me right, but Mama tried. Mama tried. Charlie Pride. Is anybody going to San Antonio? Johnny Cash. I keep the ends out for the tie that because you're mine. I walk the line. So he just kind of went over into that vein. And when I look back, I realize what was great about the kind of country that my dad loved was it was very contemporary. It wasn't mm -hmm. traditional country in the sense it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Ernest Tubb. Walls across Texas with you in my arms. Or Hank Williams. Say hey, good looking. What you got cooking? Uh, it was progressive modern country. All those artists were sort of having a, just as much pop crossover. And for folks who don't know your story, you pursue music from the earliest age. 
But I'm curious what it took for you as a songwriter, as a guitarist, as a musician to really become fluent in that sound, not just knowing the music, but being able to perform it and feel like, all right, I am now, I am now this act. Right. I feel like I can, I can do this thing. Um, well, put in my 10,000 hours. <laughs> Go Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, but it's true, you know, it's just, it's just yeah. starting at the age of six, learning guitar at six. My mom and dad bought me a little ukulele when I was four and my dad noticed that I could strum it in time with the songs on the radio. So he went, oh, he's got rhythm. Thank God. What would be a good, he asked some people what would be a good age for him to learn the chords because he's got this bit down. We just need to get this bit. And they said six is great. And so at six, they found me a guitar teacher and I learned some basic chords and then just started playing. And of course, what I started playing was what I was hearing around the house, which is, you know, a mix of country music blended in with the radio, you know, top 40 radio, mm. which is kind of just being spoon fed pop songs, basically, as far as hooks, radio hooks right. was being all ingrained into me at a very young age. My mum and dad joined this amateur country music club when we that which we they're kind of all around Australia in different cities. You can join a club. It's like joining just a it's like joining a football club or a tennis club or something. You join a country music club. And <laughs> they would rent out the local hall in town and put on a function like once every two weeks, I think it was. And all the people who were members would all come. Some people played, some people just loved the music. And they would throw a house band together. And if you wanted, you could get up and do a song and use the house band. And it was kind of like open mic night, really. And then once a year, they'd all go to some town in Australia and compete with this like two-day festival. And all the clubs would compete against each other. So I grew up in this subculture where it wasn't just the music, it was the lifestyle. Lots of drinking, lots of camping. There's lots of all that stuff, you know? And Consequently, hearing so much music, not just from my own home, but from all these people, all these families and people who were playing and singing and all of that. Now, you really are uh, quite a musical omnivore, and it's something that people can hear <laughs> even in your earliest records. There's not a Keith Urban song lacking a hook. There's always, there's always a great hook. There's always something to grab onto. And I was noting, I was going back to your self-titled record Keith Urban and the first track opens up with really a sort of like almost contemporary urban style beat and so even in a, a record which is full of a lot of more traditional sort of country timbres mm -hmm. you got a lot more steel a lot more mm -hmm. twang mm -hmm. even at the beginning there is a lot of influence that's happening clearly beyond just the country charts. And of course your songs, they are frequently charting, not just in country, they're, they're just on the top 100. And over the last four albums, especially, you've really been pushing your sounds. You've incorporated sounds from electronic dance music, hip hop style, drum production, mm. R&B ballad styles. What made you feel like you wanted to push beyond those traditional sounds and timbres of country music in these last few records? I think it was more making sure I didn't stop myself more than pushing mm. myself. What do you mean? I don't think of it in terms of pushing envelopes. I think of it in terms of making sure nothing gets in the way of the natural flow towards things. So I don't, mm. I'm not pushing towards it. I'm just not stopping myself from going to it. It's a very different mm. 
motivational sort of energy and force so that it's allowed everything's allowed to flow uninhibited and without the parameters of sort of genre borders expectations all this nonsense you know mm. and so gradually that ability to flow unimpeded has been opening up and happening more naturally across the last handful of records yeah i've seen a lot of interviews where you talk about the creative process you you seem to have a, a sort of cosmic appreciation <laughs> for creativity <laughs> i mean that's that that would be the best way to put it right has this always been the case? I mean, realizing that you needed to just not let anything get in the way. How, how did you get to that realization? Was there something that changed in your life? Has it always been that way? Gosh, a really good question. Um, it's been quite an unusual journey for me coming from Australia to America, into Nashville, and trying to figure out how to get accepted and become part of Nashville and not lose myself. That's been the biggest balancing act of all. And I think that you talked about that first record, the first solo record I did being a little more traditional in its, in its sonics and its uh, instrument choices right. and so on. Prior to that record, I did an album with a band I had called The Ranch, and that was recorded in 1995, 96, around there. It came out in 1997. We're a three-piece group. Yeah. And that's a, a much rawer, rougher non-radio ready kind of record walking the country with me watch the sun sinking down on the trees it's gonna do us some good to get down in the woods take a little walk in the country with me so consequently we didn't really get any traction hmm. and i was really frustrated because i went i i write songs and in my head, I could make records that are far more suitable for getting on radio. I know how to do that, but I'm a bit limited with this band. So hmm. I stepped out of the band and then set about trying to find out how to make a record that felt true to me and could get onto radio. Uh, and that became that first solo record. For me, what it has, the sound of, is a guy that hasn't toured in a couple of years. And I tour all the time. I'm always touring. But that yeah. first solo record, I'd left my band in 1998, and I really didn't do any touring in that year. I didn't do any touring in 99. And that record sounds like a guy, for me, it sounds like a guy that's not doing any touring. Um, so my live identity is not very present at all on that album. Hmm. But consequently, it yielded some songs that radio played, and we got some traction which meant I could go out and tour. And the next record, mm. Golden Road, that sounds like a guy who's been out playing gigs. Because it's already starting to get a bit more right. stubble, is how I used to phrase it. <laughs> the first record has no stubble. I have the picture on the front, to prove it, I, every, time, every time I see the picture of that first album, I hear the record company president, Pat Quigley, in my head. I turned in that record and he goes, is this the cover you want? And I went, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. He goes, damn, son, it looks like the picture that came with the frame. 
<laughs> he's spot on too. It sure as hell does. Um, you know, but the next record was a little looser and it just got it just got a little bit little bit looser. Everything started to loosen up. And I think it just continued really across mm. across to all the records. Let's get into your latest release. We've got The Speed of Now, Volume One. Mm. And it continues to incorporate a lot of novel musical ground. We're going to talk about that music, mm. but I want to just start first with what kind of message were you wanting to convey with this project? Just an honest capturing of who I am in, in 2020 as a musician, as a, as a human being, as a, as a, as a husband, as a, as a father, just all of it as a, as a bandmate, as a, it's just me, just who I am, just to be, to be true, a true photograph. For me, all my records are, 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 are accurate snapshots of who I was at that time. I'm really sorry about the first frame then, because that first <laughs> framed photo. <was> yeah, <laughs> but, but it's true. That's who I was. I was kind of in a very safe, small little space in my life right then. I really was. I, I wasn't, I was a bit, I was a bit caged, caged in a little bit. And the record is very true to it. And the next record mm -hmm. was true to that guy and every record. And then particularly the one that preceded Rehab called Love, Pain and the Whole Crazy Thing. That, that album is very much a record I was trying very hard to expand outwards, but I wasn't, I wasn't able to do it. didn't have my faculties about me i wasn't in a good headspace i wasn't mm. you know struggling with addiction and i was biting off way more than i could chew and that i couldn't get that record where i felt it inside me it was very frustrating mm. Mm. is part of having had a record that feels like you feel constrained is that connected to what we were speaking about earlier that recognition of the need to let go of that that inner critic that's going to hold back whatever is natural and going on now yeah yeah and probably you know to some degree the changing availabilities of platforms and portals to get music out right you know we we've come from a time when it was contra radio was it and if you look at someone like garth brooks he's a good example of someone who made a particular kind of record and then he went out and toured it was nothing like his record it was insane. It was wild. It was like a freaking Def Leppard kiss thing going on and running <laughs> around pyrotechnics and wild huh. ma mania. And yeah. then these records like this again, every record huh, and yeah. wild. And I think that's what yeah. you kind of had to do. And what's changed is that there is more mm. opportunity now to bring that live wild thing, which is natural to who you are, into the studio yeah. and find yeah. where the two become, become one, really. This is interesting to go back to your your picture metaphor of where you're at. You know, of course, the, the with the title, the speed of now, it's where we are right now. Mm. And even when we look at the the imagery of it, it is bright, it is bold, it is enthusiastic, mm. and we can hear that as well. I think right from the get go, when we lead into the first track, out of the cage, we are brought into a bombastic, energetic musical world. <laughs> Don't you can't break me. There's a new day coming. 
Tell me about Out of the Cage. What are you saying here? Out the Cage is a collaboration with me and, a, and an artist named Breland, who I'm sure you know about. He's, he's known for, in particular, My Truck was the first song I think he put out last yeah. year. You know. You can call me crazy, but don't touch my truck. Yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, it was fun. I heard a few things that he did last year, and and it wasn't until earlier this year, and I read an interview online with him, and I was um, really fascinated, way more fascinated with mm. him when I read this interview, and I went, he seemed incredibly woke, sharp as a tack, and mm. had a way of approaching music that had no boundaries, no limitations, no no anything, no, no mm. nothing. It felt very, very free and liberated. And that's the kind of people I love to work with in the studio, just complete creative liberation. So I got his number from, from someone and just cold called him one day. We talked for like 45 minutes nonstop about music and he grew up you know, playing all kinds of stuff. He grew up in the church and his mom and dad were gospel singers and uh, we just hit it off. And hmm. this was on a Wednesday and I said, man, if you're ever in town man you should come come to my house i got a little studio at the house we just see what happens i mean no preconceived ideas yeah. nothing and he goes i'll be there friday morning i said oh great can you carve out some time <laughs> to come by he goes no I'm, i'll be at your house friday morning i went I'm like, okay where, where do you live because i'm in atlanta went, okay uh okay we're doing it um he goes what time do you want to start i go is 10 o'clock too early he goes no it's fine i'll be there at 10 my phone rings at 9.15 on that Friday morning. goes, hey, man, it's Breland. I'm out front of your house. I got here way quicker than I thought. There was no traffic on the freeway. I'm like, you drove from Atlanta. It's 9.15. I love this guy. And we just clicked. Oh, wow. We just clicked and we, yeah. wrote, uh, we wrote a song that ended up on his project. And then we wrote another one that ended up being Soul Food. And then we did Out the Cage. And you also have another collaborator on here as well. This song includes a lot of cool breakbeat drum loops but even some funk guitar. Well, and that, that breakbeat opening was mm. what really predicated the entire song. I, I love those, that 90s English breakbeat thing, kind of Prodigy, Fatboy yeah. Slim, particularly yep. Prodigy, like Firestarter. I'm a Firestarter, Firestarter. And I'm like, I've always wanted to write something that has that kind of like, just want to go punch someone, energy kind of... Ugh. I just want to. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, we, the whole world has always needed a, a prodigy country crossover. <laughs> I love I, it. <laughs> that's how I feel and hear things, you know. Yeah. I because yeah. it, it's the spirit of it. It's like the 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 way I feel when I hear that. I'm like, why can't mm. I feel that in 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 our music? What what's stopping mm. that? We all feel it. It's a human feeling to go fight or break something or just you know break the speed limit Busting or out of the cage. whatever. Yeah. Just break out of the cage, you know. So I go, there's got to be a way to assimilate this breakbeat into my world. Mm. And so I started with it, mm. grabbed the banjo, the riff came and Breland goes, we should try and sing over that riff. And I'm like, mm. yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty quick. And he goes, oh, we can do this, you know? <laughs> and, and so the song just took off running basically, you know? Out 
as we started recording it at my house, I went, God, this is like classic Nile. As I was putting some guitar down, I'm like, this is totally Nile Rogers' world right here. Yeah, the acoustic guitar is even sort of funky in the way that you're approaching it. It's not a country-style guitar. No, it's more Pete Townsend, for me at least anyway. It's more like mm. Pinball Wizard. You know, because I grew up playing in the clubs and pubs of Australia, and they're really rough, that kind of mm. concrete elbow attitude way of playing <laughs> is very familiar to me. It's a lot of how I was raised. So guys like Pete Townsend and the sort of middle finger way he plays attitudinally really resonates with me. So you take that, mm. that, that prodigy mm. vibe, you put Pete yeah. Townsend... 12 string aggressive acoustic on it and then bring it start bringing everything in a Nile Rogers funk guitar and it all starts to dance and become you know hopefully this thing think our biggest problems y'all get so monotonous holding us all hostages tell me about bringing in Nile do we need the, the funk guitar is that the glue that brings these these disparate sounds all together why, why Nile because when I started playing electric guitar on the track I went this is this is like this is just it's Niles' world. He's he's really good at this this thing yeah. right here, and I'd, I'd worked with him on a few albums ago, so we we remained really good friends. And I just called him up. He was in Connecticut at his house, and I said, "Man, I got this song I'm working on. Would love you to play guitar on it." He said, "Yeah, send it up." So I sent it to him. He <laughs> called up like minutes after getting it. And he goes, "Bro, bro, man, this song is sick, man." You know and. He put some guitar on it and sent sent the files to us, and it was just like, there it is, you know, crazy. That's so fun. Mm. What I really don't like about that story is that I it, it takes me days and days and days to try to get that particular percussive style of Nile Rodgers on a guitar. You yeah, know, it's like it's such deep practice, and of course he just pulls <laughs> it off in a few seconds. <laughs> I know, but the crazy thing about Nile when I first met him in 2015 and went to a studio to meet with him and to the jam and everything. I was yeah. I wanted to see what his right hand was doing because I went this is this is the Nile magic right here. What is his right hand doing? You know how does he do that stuff? What I didn't realize is it's it's his left hand that's doing these hmm. oh yeah these the mutings and the chordal inversions. That's the magic. I mean his right hand is magic, but it's the two together that that's why he's Nile Rogers and nobody else is. Yeah, one of those rare qualities where you can hear two notes and you know exactly who you're hearing. Totally. And he's always had the same guitar. He has one Stratocaster that he's only ever had his entire career. He shows up at the studio with it over his shoulder, one guitar, it, and it's it. that guitar. And when he plugs it in, it's that. Perfect. Crazy. Yeah. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. If you have allergies, then I've got a familiar scenario for you. You wake up on a beautiful spring morning and peek outside. You get a feel of that nice breeze, but then you start to feel a little tickle in your nostrils. That tickle is the spring air telling you to go be a hermit and avoid the outside because you'll soon be a sniffling, sneezing mess. 
but don't listen to it. Allergies suck, but a good nasal spray makes all the difference. I personally learned that I suffer from adult onset allergies, and it's a real bummer, but a good allergy med makes all the difference for my ability to go out in the springtime to smell magnolias, my favorite flower. If you also want relief quickly to get back to breathing in the spring air, you can try Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Let's talk about some other songs on the record. Live With is an example of another song that really crosses traditions, and it offers a strong message. Could you speak to what Live With means for you? Live With really spoke to me. Uh, One of the writers is John Knight, and he's a great writer. Him and Bobby Penson and Zach Kale wrote the song and they sent it to me in March. It's crazy. And mm. everything about the song I loved lyrically, you know, I want a life I can live, not just a life I can live with. Uh, but there was, a, there was one little simple line in there. The longer I longer I live, the more that I, more that I wish for some friends I can sip with, take a fifth with. Just that mm. section about, it struck me as just missing friends. And yeah, as March became April, became May, that that resonated with me. I missed my friends more than anything. I missed my friends, and so that line really struck me. And that, to me, was the spirit of the whole song, right there. It does offer a glimmer of hope in a in a challenging time. The way that you sing the chorus, it has this rhythmic cadence to it and a style of rhyme that is of a such a particular country sound is is there a name for what's going on there do you think of that as a certain kind of chorus like i know that chorus it feels comfortable right like drinking with your friends yeah (laughs) uh i don't know if there's a name for that i i gravitate towards rhythmic cadence in lyricism, I you know, yeah. I, I always I always have. I've loved those kinds of things. I mean, out the cage is a great example of that. You know, feel like I just get digging them all. I mean, it's just mm. I, that 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 stuff's right up my alley. The right. stuff that Steven Tyler likes, for example, and it's because we we you know I play a bit of drums. It's it's drumming. It's rhythmic. It's the kind of right. I love that kind of stuff. I love quirky phrasing, which you have here. I you I think I feel like the way in which you know it's often. It can be unfulfilling to rhyme a word with a word, but what if we move that word rhythmically throughout the phrase? So you don't quite know where it's going to land, right? right? Life yeah. I can learn with, swerve with, twist and turn with, yeah. take a ninety mile an hour curve with. Yeah, we're trying to find where is it going to land, and that feels like that's the drummer kind of pulling you along. Where is the beat going to be? And finally, you, you you sort of get it right at the end. And it's really good when a, you can tell when a songwriter is also a singer, a proper singer. Mm. Because things like taking none and mala now curve with taking none and mala curve with is so beautifully mm. written with consonants and vowels all falling in just the right percussive places. You know, there's no weird s's or things in the wrong spot. So it has a nice, 
you know, Eminem was is genius at it. That percussiveness right. is is right. paramount. And then matching, how do you get the melody, the rhythm, the percussiveness to match with something which is narratively compelling? Yes. All those things, yeah. like maybe that's the cosmic nature of it. Well, and I mean, really, the, the first place it always comes from is those the rhythmic thing I, I read a thing one time where keith richards was being asked you know how do you how do you and mick go about writing songs he goes oh well, i i do be this too but that and then mick goes out on the mic and starts making vowel movements oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is you know it's you know and then you go what am i saying there and you boom you know that's how it all happens <laughs> Man, it's before language, and I think a lot of people yes. who yeah. sing as top liners, people who are sort of finding melodies, that's often the process. I, I know that you know another famous example would be like um, Paul McCartney's "Yesterday," which started out as scrambled, scrambled eggs. eggs. Yeah, scrambled eggs. Oh my baby, how I love your legs. Not as much as I love scrambled eggs. Sometimes you just have to find the frame in which to paint that picture. Yeah, but you're quite right. The sound, the vowel sounds are there. Because someone might go, well, scrambled egg is nothing like yesterday. But as a singer, you go, scrambled egg. I mean, scrambled mm -hmm. egg is actually what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And yesterday, it's not that far apart phonetically. It's right. just sub some consonants, sub some vowels, yes. but they're in the same exact order. And then sort of um, pronunciation liberties that you take as a singer right. to, to make right. things rhyme. Country music, boy, we can rhyme some <laughs> shit that you just shouldn't be rhyming. It's amazing. <laughs> John Wayne, Superman, California. I'm a Chris Christopherson, Sonny Morning. I'm a mom and dad singing along to Don McLean. It makes me think a little bit about what you were saying at the beginning of this conversation about the sort of openness to creativity. Uh, part of that is, is feeling comfortable with twisting language and sounds in such a way that it actually fits what you need to say, even if it's not the way that we might say it spoken. Mm. Mm. And then, of course, the trick is, but it sounds like how you would have said it anyway. Those are always the best lines, right? Where you're like, oh, that just feels like something I've already said. I mean, I think even in your example here, take a 90 mile an hour curve with, mm. it's like, yeah, someone just said that, but mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever said that before. No, but you feel it. Yeah. And that's, that's really, know that's the most important thing is do you feel it? Because half the time we, we sing the wrong words to songs that we're singing <laughs> along with on the radio. So how important is right. that lyric if we've been singing the yeah. wrong words and we love it? Hmm. That's the crazy part. It's one of the things that I struggled with when I moved to Nashville at the beginning was I was very much about the sound and the consonants and the feel and the, and the feel of things. But every time I wrote with people, it was very much the yellow legal pad, windowless room, two acoustics, amazing mm. lyric that's just sheer poetry. And I'm like, it's great poetry, but it, it's a rubbish. It, this song doesn't, it's not sticking in my head. I don't feel it. It reads beautifully, but it sings like crap. I mean, just with some of the people I was working with, and I was trying to find that middle ground where, you, where it said something and you felt it. And it was fun to sing too, you know? Let's talk about a song that I actually, I think does weave through exactly that balance. Your track, Say Something. Very cool sounds. We've got contemporary trap style drums. Yeah, we got to try to live a better world on the day that we die. The bass almost has an 808-like beat where it's syncopating. Ooh, yeah, 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 so here I go. I'm waking up. 
We of course have country instrumentation as well. When the silence becomes so dangerous, we gotta say something, say something, say something, say something. Here we have a pretty potent message, one that is, seems to be both personal but also more universal. Can you speak to what it means to you and what you're hoping to convey? So Lindy Robbins, who's really one of the main lyricists on the song, had started the direction of the song, Say Something. And I loved that. You know, I loved lyrically what it was saying. But, I, I, but I've always had, I've always been very, I'm not a sort of get up on a soapbox and preach kind of guy. I've never been that. I wasn't raised that way. I'd rather sure. it be, whatever my beliefs are, I'd rather it be in my music and particularly in my life, the way I live my life. So you don't have to hmm. be speaking out about this and that and that. But there was something wonderful in that song, you know, and yes, I know words ain't enough, but when the silence becomes so dangerous, we got to say something. We got to say something, say something, say something, say something. And that, that line really hit me. To make it personal for me too, I, I thought, well, my, my dad didn't raise me that way. My dad was like, ah, oh, don't, don't speak out, don't rock the boat, don't. And that was good on one level. But he also was like that in our home. We didn't say anything as a family, not really. We didn't, we didn't talk about intimate stuff and we didn't, we didn't say things and we should have. Um, so I thought there's another dimension to this title that I'd like to capture in the second verse. So I literally wrote the second verse about my own personal experience of being raised in this family because my family now with Nick and our girls is is totally opposite to that we speak about everything we talk we communicate you know so i think saying something is also important in the home and mm -hmm. saying sorry to somebody before they drift out of your life or i love you to someone before they pass away those things need to be said as well i, I think that's beautiful in a relationship when we don't speak out things can sour resentment can brew mm. it also feels particularly apt at this moment when there are so many reckonings going on mm. uh, in, a, in a really troubled world yeah sort of going beyond the the broad message of the song are there, are there more detailed things that you feel that you are wanting to speak out more about now even though you have typically felt reserved to get on a soapbox i'll always vocalize things that i feel passionate about so long as i feel like i know what it is that i'm getting involved in I'm very nervous about too many people that jump on the latest colored wristband this week and slap it on and don't really know what that means, you know. And unfortunately, we live in a time right now where context is too lacking and, and there's not a chance to explain my relationship with this opinion or contextualize it in some way. It's just reduced to a clickbait and, it's, you're, you're, and then you're spending your whole time on the, on the defense. That's, that's a very troubling unfolding right now, I find, because it actually makes people be quiet and go, ah, I'll be taken out of context if I say that. So I'll say nothing. That's a very dangerous place as well. Yeah. Do you feel that with the constraints of, of the sort of more traditional side of country, can that also be a limitation to where you feel comfortable speaking out in terms of country music having any sort of you know, assumed political allegiances and sort of concerns about connecting with audiences? Yeah, well, I mean, I love bringing people together. I love finding the common thread between everybody because there's any amount of differences between all of us. And they're right. legit, they're real, they exist totally. But 
in order to sort of live together, we've got to try and figure out the things that we do have in common, which is also a lot. And my job as an entertainer and as a musician and a performer on stage is to bring everybody together, you know, not separate the room, I want to bring everyone together. So mm. I look for the common threads in things. I, that's, mm. that's what I'm interested in musically uh, and in every other way is, is try and be a bridge builder. Let's uh, close out with just one more song. I'd like to chat about Change Your Mind. Mm. So this is a ballad about whether or not someone deserves a second chance. But I wonder sometimes, is it too late to try? If I change, or would you change your mind? Change your mind. What about this song spoke to you? Everything. The, the truth of it. The truth of it. God. Um, it was just one of those beautifully written lyrics that was just so from the heart. If we could live in reverse, I'd go to the part where it hurt. I'd go and fix the little issues before they got too big. Good golly, man. I mean, oh, uh, every, every lyric in that song just went straight to the core of me. I, even though I didn't write it, it spoke to me like, like someone had written my own feelings of re- various relationships I've been in over the years and how I just was just hopeless at it. I'm thinking of sort of changing your mind. A lot has been changing. A lot of perspectives have been changing. What's changed for you in this time? That's a good question. Um, the, I guess the, the way I feel, I don't know that I've changed a lot of things because of a lot of the things in my past that I'd gone through a real deep gratitude and appreciation for many, many things. <clears throat> I already had that in, in play and it was the, the way I would go about my days, the importance of family and friends. I felt that before the pandemic in, in, in some ways it was the, the title of the album, which came to me in October last year was an observation of the fact that I felt all like all that was, was, just a mess. I just felt like everywhere, you know, it, it's sort of, it's almost a sort of a twisted sense of humor comment about the absurdity of our society and where I saw it, that the now, which is meant to be free of time, even that thing looks like it's going fast. That That's how out of whack I felt like we had started to tilt, probably because of this, you know, this smartphone that I'm trying to keep up with, but I'm a human being. I'm not, I'm not a computer, I'm a human being. And the, the drifting apart from everything that makes us human feels like it's a, that's a whole other podcast unto itself, you know, the sort of heading towards the singularity conversation, you know, mm-hmm. which I wish was had more often by lots and lots of people because it's something that should, I'd like to see that on the news. Where are we at? with our sort of maintaining our humanism in the midst of sort of becoming androidinal, you know, because it's, it, it, we're barreling down that freeway. It's such a fast clip. Right. That's a long winded answer to your question, but in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm there and I'm trying to live my life without needing a pandemic to change it for me. That's what I'm mm-hmm. trying to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're living now, but it does feel like it's getting faster. Mm. I'm curious about 
the speed of now volume two what's volume two of our life going to look like <laughs> I have no idea but i realize that the title's relative to yeah. any any point in time as well the speed of right. now is different to what it was in october last year the speed of now is always relative um to each one of us the perception of time you know but it also it connects to to playing live because for me playing live mm -hmm. That's the thing I miss the most. I miss playing live. I miss people in front of a stage, a mosh pit, the energy of a crowd packed in. There's no substitute for that, you know? Performing to a camera is like dating a mannequin. That's what it feels like. It's like it, there's nothing there, you know? It's, um, I'm imagining everything. It's this cold camera lens looking at me. So I have to imagine everything. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, well, I guess it's a good thing in your family you can get some uh, some acting lessons on how to uh, <laughs> make it feel as real as possible. I wish I had more uplifting advice, you know. <laughs> no, I, 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 well, think what have I learned in this pandemic that I married really well. Yeah, and I think everybody's discovering, you know, did they make good choices if they were in a relationship? You certainly got to find that out really quick, and I mm. found out I, I got to choose really, really well. Thank God. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. Congratulations on this new record. Lots of hooks all throughout. Thank you, Charlie. Well, thank you, Keith. It's been really a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, it was so nice to see you. This has been such a pleasure. Likewise, Charlie. Yeah, it was so good, man. Switched on Pop is made by Nate Sloan and me, Charlie Harding. We're produced by Bridget Armstrong, engineered by Brandon McFarland, illustrations by Iris Gottlieb, social media by Abby Barr, and executive produced by Nishat Kurwa and Liz Kelly Nelson. We're a member of the Vox Media Podcast Network. This week, we're saying a warm-hearted goodbye to our producer, Megan Lubin. Her work on episodes like The Sound of Lo-Fi to the recent miniseries on Beethoven could not have happened without her. She's off to make lots more great audio, and we're wishing her the best of luck. We'll miss you, Megan. Tune in next Tuesday for my last of three conversations that dive into the world of country music. I'll be speaking with beloved songwriter Brandy Clark, who has the ability to write rhyming couplets that stick with you for life. I hope you'll join me for that conversation. And until then, thanks for listening. One final shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. You know what's a terrible question? What's your favorite part of having nasal allergies? I don't know, absolutely nothing. Luckily, you might be able to find some relief with Astapro. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose and sneezing. And it starts working in just 30 minutes. Get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's astaproallergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.